I want these young people to know that we are very proud of them and all they've accomplished in their graduation from high school and the, the many pursuits that uh, they're going to be a part of uh, down the road. And, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to have influence in people's lives like that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing uh, to be able to, to walk the journey beside them and to be a blessing to them. And um, I'm thankful. I know uh, yesterday uh, we uh, went down to College Station and uh, we saw Crystal Stewart graduate uh, with her doctorate. And uh, so uh, she's now a medical doctor. She's, uh, know, we know they're going to Amarillo. And, and, uh, but what a, what a blessing that is to, to see that and to be a, a part of that and to uh, just be able to walk the journey beside her and Corey and and uh, I don't know, uh, they don't have much time left here, but uh, we're, we're grateful uh, for what they've done and how God has, has given them and, and uh, used them in and through our lives, and we're just very thankful for that. But um, congratulations, and we're, we're very delighted uh, for your new position. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes we, we have this time between Father's Day and or Mother's Day and Father's Day, and, and uh, we've also got Memorial Day plugged in there. And I think it's always a good time to talk about, uh, you know, you got graduations going on and, and uh, uh, people having influence and those kind of things. And I think it's always a good time to talk about the family. Um, you know, focusing on the family, if you will. And uh, today I want to talk a little bit about God's plan for the family. And... Um, you know, the family is under attack. You could say that again. The family is under attack. I mean, people disregard and they disobey the words of Jesus regarding marriage and family life and parenting today. And, and they do it with thoughtless abandon. They don't even think about it. They just do it. And, and you know, you have derelict parents that, that, that aren't uh, re- responsible for their children. You have disobedient children. You have dissolved marriages are everywhere. And because of the breakdown in the parent-child relationships and the breakdown of the husband and wife relationships, the world has rationalized that divorce is reasonable. They've basically just said it's reasonable. And the, the Christian world has, has apparently rushed to minister to those who are, who are injured by divorce. But what, and, and I think that's right and good. But I recognize little has been said to affirm God's plan for the family. I mean, we want to minister to, to needs. We want to help people. And we want to point them towards the cross and to Jesus. But fearing that we might offend those who are in and from broken homes, we've neglected the biblical precepts relating to maintaining wholesome family ties. And I think this is important, and I think we need to hear this, because you need to understand that no civilization has ever survived the breakdown of the family unit. The Greeks in, in, in eight, uh, B.C. 300, uh, that was true of their culture. The Roman society in A.D. 300, it was true of them. You know, and if the family fails, then all of the other institutions in society fail. See, the, 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 the family 
is the basic unit of society. At its core, it is the family that holds society together, undergirding everything else. And I want to call the family uh, the, the prep school, if you will, the, 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 the preparation for the foundation of life. You see, it's where we learn to live in community. You know, because I, I have brothers that, that got on my nerves. You've had brothers and sisters that got on your nerves. But you had to figure out how to live in community with them. And it's in that family unit that, that we understand that. And, and the basis of, of the family unit is found in Genesis 2, verse 18, where God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable corresponding to him okay you know somebody standing on the truth of God's word needs to declare firmly that the unholy union of two people living together just moving in together who aren't married is offensive to God it's not God's design God desires that we live married lives with one another that the two become one flesh, regardless of how popular or, or, or pleasant it may be. That is not God's plan. God's plan is that we be married together. And I think it's important because too many families are hurting. Too many families are hurting, but despite the hurt, hope and help are available. I mean, God's word offers us instruction for the family. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 19. And I want to read uh, three verses. Verse 4, 5, and 6. And, and just understand that in context here, Jesus has been doing some teaching. And the, the Pharisees have come to him and they ask him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And this is what he said. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Lord, I just want to thank you for this scripture. Father, I thank you that you are a God who loves us and who cares for us. The God who gives us instruction and your Holy Spirit is our teacher and guide. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words because they, they, they ring true. And I'm thankful, Father, that, that, that you guide us into all truth. And Lord, I ask that you would just implant these upon our heart, that we too could honor and glorify you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we have here the family. Man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And really, the, the, the family is to be a time of preparation 
I mean, we learn our values from our family. We learn the model for dealing with others in our family. We learn a lot from our family structure. And the reason that, with, you know, when we grow up and we, we end up getting married ourselves, what we bring to that marriage is what was modeled for us in our home, in the family. And so it, it becomes very important because it, it, we're, we're churning out and we're reproducing what we are. And the reason that we don't like what we see is because we don't like what we are. But you see, this is the model that has been given for many in our nation. And it will continue to be unless we bring to the forefront the family and God's plan for the family. See, in our pluralistic and worldly culture, children need a place where where logic and love are demonstrated and defined. A place where beliefs are firmly anchored in Scripture. And the home is the place where a biblical worldview is to be taught. It's not do whatever you want. It's not do whatever you think. The, the home is the place where the biblical worldview is taught to our children. It's very important. You see, two people, they, they come together and, and, and for their own common good, they form the nucleus of a family. The intimacy between the two um, is revealed in the idea of a helper here in, in, in Genesis chapter 2. And that word helper means to go along aside, to, to correspond to. It really means a second half. Okay, so you're talking about a helper, a second half, becoming one flesh. But, but listen, the, the, the oneness between a man and a woman is multifaceted. Our society wants to put it on a very low level. With physical, that being the, the most and highest of everything. But folks, you need to understand that when a man and a woman get married and they come together, there, there is something that happens between them that is physical, that is spiritual, that is social, that is intellectual, and that is also financial. It's multifaceted. There's all of these things that, that, that are together when the two become one flesh. It's not her account and my account. It's our account. It, 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 it's our intelligence together. The two complement each other. They, they go together. And I think this is very, very important because each person enhances and fulfills the other. I'm so thankful that my wife is a caring person. I'm glad that she's a nurturer because I may not always be a nurturer. I tend to be more like the law. Rather than the nurturer. So I'm glad that she brings that into our home. That that becomes part of who I am. I can claim some of that. Yes I am a nurturer. Because of her. And what she brings to that wedding. To that, that marriage. To the home. Now we complement each other. We, we complete each other. And you know for, for a cake to turn out well. Something I may know a little bit about. The right ingredients in the proper proportions have to be put together in order for the cake to come out. If you use milk that is past the due date, 
you know, that might even have lumps in it. I'm not talking about buttermilk. If you use sour milk in that cake instead of fresh milk, what's going to happen is that the the cake is going to taste bad. It's going to have an unpleasant taste. But the cake is what's going to get the blame, not the milk. You see, it's that way in the home and in the family. Is if we're not linked together, if we're not joined together the way we are supposed to be, then it leaves an unpleasant taste. And all of society sees that. You see, there's the idea here of one flesh. And many relationships today are established on surface emotions. Well, he makes me so happy. Or they want to get out of a relationship because they're not happy. But when the two become one flesh, that it's more than just those emotions. These, these emotions are often stimulated beyond the realm of reason. I mean, that's all we see is that physical nature side on television, on, on, the, on the, the computer, on, on all the, the, the media that comes into our life. All we see is that emotional side. But there's so much more to it than just that. We need to recognize that because couples who are planning marriage should really look at the total person. They need to look at who they're marrying Not just whether or not they enjoy their company, but where they come from. What's their family of origin? They need to to be able to to come together in this marriage and say, you know what? We're both going to put our adolescence behind us. We're matured to the point where we can move forward in this. And I think this 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 is big because neither one... Neither party in a marriage can remain mentally single. You've seen people, and so have I, that have tried to remain mentally single in a marriage relationship, and it never works out. They never become one flesh with the other. You see, two people become one in flesh and blood and as, as a union, they join God in creating a life that has an eternal destiny. I mean, you think about this. A child is born and comes from this union. And a family setting, it's in that family setting that a child learns to become a citizen, a worker, a friend, a neighbor, a mate, a parent. But it's in that family unit where the child learns all of those things. You see, all of this learning takes place through this prep school called the family. And it happens a long time before the child enters first grade. Because they're sponges and they're soaking it all in. And they're learning all about what it means to be a citizen and a a neighbor and a friend and a spouse. And all of those things by what they see modeled in the home. See, part of a child's development (coughs) comes as he or she learns how to choose friends. (laughs) 
how they choose friends who offer positive rather than negative influences. I mean, parents can give great guidance in that too. And parents should encourage their children to avoid a group that is mentioned in Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 11 and 12 says this. There is a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There is a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Proverbs tells us to avoid those kind of people. I think that's, that's big. See, there's two aspects here. There's one flesh, but there's, there's two aspects that I want to point to in the, in the home. You see, a ruby is a rare and valuable precious stone. And there's other stones, like the garnet, like the spinel, that also um, look similar to the ruby. So closely they resemble it that only an expert can tell the real difference. See, geologists, they test these stones with a, a, a special instrument called a dichroscope. And as they look into the dichroscope, they can see that two images of the same stone and, and, and a genuine ruby produces one image that is orange-red and another one that is carmine-red, a deeper red. Whereas these other two, the garnet and the spindle, they only show one color. So only an expert would know what the difference is in those. But there's two aspects. And I want to say that real mature love, under the dichroscope of discernment, reflects two aspects as well. You know, a classroom... Experience can illustrate that for us. There was a teacher, she was talking to her, her students. They were young, they were elementary. And they had kind of an abstract, sometimes the, the abstract definition of love just really did not, uh, did, did not communicate with them. And so she asked her, her students to show what love means. What is love? What does it mean? And one six-year-old, she stood up and went up to the teacher and she, she approached her and, and she gave her a big hug. And she said, that's love. That's love. Well, the teacher assured the students that that was indeed one form of love. And that she asked for further insight into that. And she said, what else can you, can you tell me about love? And soon the same little girl, she, she enlisted the help of some of the other students around her in tidying up the chairs and putting them around the table. And she said this, she said, love is... Helping someone too. And you see, love is that way. Love is not only saying, but it's also doing. Yeah. Folks, we need to hear that. Because just like the real ruby emits two images of varying reds, mature love shows a willingness to cooperate in both affectionate words and doing. Both saying and doing. See, it's mobile, it's, it's, it's meaningful maturity. And you see, these demonstrations of love are more meaningful than declarations of love. You can tell someone how much you love them. But when you show them, that's when it really matters. That's when they really get it. Oh, you do love me. You see, sometimes cooperation involves doing things together 
in the home, we have to cooperate with other people. It takes more than just one person. And I think this is important as well because many people experience a breakdown in cooperation simply because they're not together enough. See, the same things that are true for the family can be true for our church family. So I'm not just talking about in your home. I'm talking about here at church too. And cooperation involves doing things together because the more that we get together... The more that we get together, the more we get together. We wonder why we feel disconnected. We wonder why there's, we don't feel a unity, maybe with brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's because we don't come together very often. We don't get together uh, and, and spend time intentionally with each other. Because the more that we do that, the more that we spend time together, the more that we will get together and I think that's, 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 that's huge. See, work schedules, social activities, civic affairs, even church-related events, and others demand that the family divide up their time. They have to divide up their time and choose what it is they want to be a part of. But I would submit to you that a family should choose things that they can do together. See, cooperation inevitably requires someone to adjust to the advantage of another. I mean, cooperation is support. I mean, when you think about this, there's people that kind of keep score. (laughs) But don't keep score because the scorekeepers, well, they're, they're opponents. Scorekeepers tend to forget the good plays of others. And they're, offer, they're often overprotective of their own scores. <laughs> and they minimize other people's scores. You know, when they, they do things that are good. We also have this essential that, that he talks about here in, in uh, chapter 19 of cleaving. Basically, God created marriage for three reasons. The first reason is to be fruitful and multiply. Reproduction. The second one is to share life together so that we don't, aren't alone, so that we, we have community. And the third one is, it's as a demonstration of divine love. When you think about the family, you think about God our Father. I mean, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5, 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he loved her and gave himself up for her. You see, Jesus serves as our fitting example. Him giving his life. He left his heavenly father and he he came to the earth to identify with his bride, the church. And folks, this is a, a, a vital aspect of Christian marriage. That as Jesus left the father to identify with loyalty to his bride... We must separate from our parents and, 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 and be loyal to those whom we marry. And you see, marriage entails a new center of allegiance, a new base of loyalty, and it results in what we call cleaving, clinging together. You know, in marriage, two people are to, to leave and they're to cleave, to be one flesh. And that, that cleave means to cling or adhere together <laughs> More importantly, it means to be glued together. To be glued together. 
And, uh, you know, in, in, in Greek language, it, it means to be permanently bonded to. Permanently bonded to. You know, some, some people may joke about that text and they may say, well, you know, that means that you're stuck with them. That's not what it's saying. What it means is that we should stick together. And it's important that we, that we hear that because every marriage bond... Every marriage bond is under attack. In our world and in this nation, every marriage bond is under attack. And these attacks are often more subtle than direct. And they, they, these assaults, they, they, they cause devastating effects on our families. You've seen it and I have too. The devastating effects that the attack on the, on the, on the marriage has, has had. But you see, families are to have a bond together. I mean, that's what we do. We, we bond together. And togetherness doesn't mean that you have your family members sitting in front of individual TVs and, and you're eating your individual meals and, and you're just waiting for your next text to come. That's not bonding together. You know, when I was a youngster, I remember sitting down around the table and having supper together. And we would pray together and we would thank God for what he has given us. And we would ask about each other's day and how things went and how we, how we are, are doing. But I think that's important as well because a family bond must continually grow. It must be something that is not static but that we continue to grow in. And, and you know, Christian living is not an accomplished, completed stage. It's a growing process. And I want to I give you quickly some practical guidelines for helping to, to build a family bond. Folks, we need to attack problems, not one another. The things that, that come up in our lives and in our families, we need to attack those problems, but not one another. And I would say this morning that we need to put people before things. Many in our society have that backwards. They, they, they want to put things first, but it's people before things. Folks, this is good for our church family as well, not just the family unit at home. I mean, give the other person the benefit of the doubt. Never, never argue or fight in public. You ever been somewhere? And a couple busted out into a verbal argument. So loud and obnoxious you just wanted to get out of there. I mean, don't do that in public. If you want to have a knockdown drag out, do it at home. The rest of us don't want to see it. Work out your differences. But don't do it out there. I mean, see, I, I think this is good advice. Because when we see people... We need to see people that are getting along in harmony. So much of what we see is angry. And, and, and people just fighting and, and, and abusive towards one another. And folks, we need, to, we need to work on that. We need to reserve time for one another. Being flexible and willing to adjust. But there's also some things you need to avoid. I mean, things to avoid in creating a, a healthy family framework. Don't alienate yourself from your family by doing only what you like to do. 
You know, it's easy for us to get in that mode. Well, I'm just not going to do that. Sometimes, yes, honey, I will watch Sound of Music with you someday. Someday. It is three hours long, right? Yeah. That's love right there. You know, don't amplify the, the inconsistencies of others and minimize your own. I mean, be consistent with that. Always weigh your vices and others on the same scale. Paul says it this way in Romans 14, 19. He says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I mean, that word edifice, building, is talking about building up one another. You know, um, to edify means to build up. And a way to edify is to resolve to give your your spouse, those, your children, those in your family, positive feedback every day. I mean, you've been around somebody that's negative all the time. That's hard to take. We need to be somebody that is building up and somebody that is being positive. We need, we need to do that with one another. We need to do that in our homes. Find the good and, and celebrate that. Do it even if similar action doesn't come back in response to you. You know, be encouraged that the <laughs> flowers leave some of their fragrance on the hands that give them. Don't affiliate or hang out with people or organizations that demand time or attitudes that go against what's needed to build your family time. So much of what we do is for the world, it's for our job, it's for this, it's for that. You need to, if, if God has given you and blessed you with a family, with, with, with a spouse, then spend time with them. Nurture that relationship. Don't give in to fleshly appetites by flirting with other people or, or, or interests that are not worthy of the devotion of a family person. If you chose to be a family and to become a family and to be married and to be a part of the family unit, then be all in with the family unit. You know, I, I get tired of people that, that, that are married that don't want to be married. And it's like, you chose them. You chose them. Be all in. If, I, I, I say this because if, if poor actions and behaviors got you out of that, right actions and behaviors can put you back in. So, so the thing is, is love is necessary for successful completion of these courses that are taught in the family. But the reality is, is we can't love others properly until we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because until we're correctly related to Jesus Christ, we cannot be correctly related to those around us. See, the New Testament word for this type of love is the kind that the Heavenly Father shows us. It's the agape love. And it means unselfish, self-giving love. It's not an act of our emotions. It's an act of our will. See, Romans 5.8 says... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our sin, 
Christ died for us. It's that kind of love. The noblest, highest, strongest type of love. And know this, as I wrap things up here. In your relationships, expect some change. I mean, you know, we've been married almost 32 years this year in August. I'm not the same man she married and she's not the same woman I married. But I, get, I guarantee you that neither one of us, neither one of us dreamed this good. Expect some change. As students progress in school, they move from one grade level to the next. You know, once they master that, they move on to the next level. And each level is different. And as two people enter into a, a relationship, into a marriage, they need to remember that their, their marriage is not and will not be stagnant. It's changing. And it requires flexibility. It requires a capacity to adjust. But you see, love is a fact. It's not merely a feeling. So I want to encourage you to flee useful, i got to say it right, youthful lusts. And don't leave a forwarding address, okay? I mean, when you get rid of that, get rid of it. But we should constantly monitor and reprogram our minds based on the concepts of Scripture. And our, our culture breeds an attitude of loose morals. You need to know that. That our, our, our culture breeds that. And, and they think that, that everybody else is doing it, so you should be doing it too. And if you are, are one that lives on God's word and you, you apply God's principles to your life, know this, it is an uphill battle. You are swimming upstream against a society. But only a person with intimacy with Christ can manage that. You see, a loving church family can help and support and maintain your closest relationships. The, the best place for a married couple to be is in the church. Hopefully the people in the church will support and maintain that marriage relationship. That they will encourage it. That they will support it. Because folks, we've got to live for each other. We've got to help each other out. You know, the word united can become the word untied. Just by the position of the letter I. We need to remember that. And one final word. Encourage through prayer. Pray for our families. Pray for your family. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children and their You know, I recognize not all of us are doing everything according to God's plan. But we all need God's help. And we can all point someone towards God's plan. You can live for it. You can show it. You can model it. You can tell it. You can even preach it. But encourage them through prayer. We never know what effect our prayer has on someone else. But I guarantee you this. If they know you are praying for them, it will encourage them. It will encourage them to do the right things. So pray for one another. 
And I would uh, like to just close with that. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for your plan. I'm thankful for the family. I'm thankful for the family that you have placed me in and that you have given to me and blessed me with. Father, I'm thankful for the church family that you've blessed me with. And I ask, Father, that even in both of these families, Father, that each one of us would do what we can do to honor you. Father, you have a very good plan. And Father... In your will, we thrive. In your will, things are better. In your will, Father, we recognize we have purpose. We have intentionality. We we have the opportunity to partner with the, the Master, the Lord of creation. But Father, we also have a responsibility in that. Father, you made us in your image. And so, how we glorify you, how we honor you matters. So Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. Father, that you would strengthen our families... Father, that you would strengthen our our husbands and wives. That the bond between them would be very strong. Father, that you would strengthen the bond between your bride and your groom, Christ and the church. Father, that you would strengthen the bonds between parent and child. And Father, that we would recognize the the love and the respect that it takes, Father, to take care of your plan. Lord, I thank you for all that you do in each one of our lives. I thank you for this moment right now as your Holy Spirit just speaks to our hearts and as we evaluate those relationships that we have. I pray, Father, that your your word would come to the forefront. Father, we are free people. We can give our allegiance to whomever we choose. And Father, we are, it's our joy, it's our honor to give you our allegiance. To say, God, that we belong to you. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior and we belong to you. Holy Spirit, Dwelling within us, we belong to you. I ask, Father, that you would just continue to show yourself mighty in each of our lives. Father, that you would help us to honor you with all that we say, think, and do. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we serve a mighty God. And God knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we've done and where we, where, how we are living. And you know, today, I know this has been about the family. I know it's been about marriage. I know it's been about a couple. 
But it's also about our relationship with God. Our relationship with Jesus Christ as his bride. And you know, I'm thankful for a bride that is faithful to me. And I want to be faithful to my groom, Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, I fall short, just as we all do. But you know what? When we confess that to Him, He comes and He ministers to us. He forgives us. He accepts us. We belong to Him. He wants us. He desires us. And you know, what a beautiful thing for us to tell Jesus that we love Him. That we are His no matter what. I loved hearing that from my own wife. And I can imagine the Lord Jesus loves to hear it from His bride. We love you. Maybe today you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your Savior. And today you want to do that. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. You're not plugged in anywhere. You want to come and become a part of this fellowship. You come. Maybe you're here and you just want to come for prayer. You know, if you want to come and pray, please come and pray. Because it's your relationship with Jesus Christ that matters for all eternity.